What drives me insane is the twofold nature of this nymphid, of every nymphid perhaps, this mixture in my Lolita of tender, dreamy childishness and a kind of eerie vulgarity. I know it is madness to keep this journal, but it gives me a strange thrill to do so. In the 11th season of this podcast, we'll be exploring some great works of literature that have something to impart to us about the nature, importance, and dangers of beauty. Okay, so check out Nietzsche's New Year's resolution. I want to tell you what I have wished for myself today. I want to learn more and more to see as beautiful what is necessary in things. Then I shall be one of those who makes things beautiful. Amor fati. Let that be my love henceforth. I don't want to wage war against what is ugly. I don't want to accuse. Looking away shall be my only negation. And all in all, someday I wish to be only a yes-sayer. Wow, couldn't we all use a few more resolutions like that? This is the wisdom of... And this is episode one, Nabokov's Lolita. some episode choices along the way that, I don't know, might have raised or at least arched some eyebrows, choices that in modern discourse are somewhat controversial, like uh, Hemingway being a, a sexist pig or the purported writer of Gilgamesh, uh, Sinlequi Unini, probably a sexist pig. You've got Nietzsche, a uh, sexist pig. Add in for him his dubious connection to Nazi Superman and all he'd need for the cancellation trifecta is a dose of what's in today's book, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Now, we tend not to focus on the, shall we say, more modern types of criticism. I'm not against any of it. I think most of it has merit, but there's plenty of that out there. It's just that, you know, I guess we should at least acknowledge what we're doing here, lest you dear listeners think we're completely oblivious dopes, which if our podcast was a person would at worst be a half truth. So like the forward to Lolita, this has been my little John Ray Jr. preamble before the real thing kicks off. Sinlequi Unini? Man, sometimes I'm amazed at what you can remember. I mean, I don't even think I can remember what we talked about last week. Yeah, so anyway, like you said, we're not going to shy away from things. We're going to get into some heavy and important stuff today, I hope. Okay, but, well, first, and as usual, I think we got to do a brief summary. So, the 1955 novel, Lolita, was written by the Russian-American writer Vladimir Nabokov. Because of its um, controversial subject matter, Nabokov just couldn't get it published in America and so eventually had to resort to a publication in France, 
which was apparently a publication house with pornographic content. And even after this, the book was still banned in several countries. The stories about um, a European middle-aged professor, Humbert, who's obsessed with a 12-year-old American girl, Dolores, whom he nicknames Lolita. In 1962, the book was adapted into a movie of the same name by the great film director Stanley Kubrick. It also has some parallels with another later film, American Beauty. Despite its very difficult nature, Lolita is considered one of the greatest novels of all time. And Nabokov himself, certainly one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. I remember from my essay writing days that you should always start with a hook, a real attention grabber. Back in the day, as far as I was concerned, as a completely lazy student, nothing grabbed a teacher's attention like dictionary definitions. So the Oxford English Dictionary defines beauty as a combination of qualities such as shape, color, form, that pleases the aesthetic senses, especially the sight. And desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. I could also add uh, Irish poet laureate sunglasses enthusiast Bono and his definition, uh, lover, I'm off the streets, going to go where the bright lights and the big city meet with a red guitar on fire, uh, desire. Either way, whichever definition I look at, I've deduced that not only do these words, beauty and desire, not mean the same thing, they don't even necessarily have to go together. That is, unless you're Humbert Humbert. I, I love that U2 song. But speaking of beauty, or the loss of it, what the heck happened to their music, by the way? Anyway, so, so yeah, desire and beauty. These are important terms here. And I think that their, their interplay end up being crucial in the story. Okay, so let's start with this question. What is Humbert's basic attitude towards beauty? Well, actually, it might help if we use Plato as a point of comparison. In particular, what he says in his great work, The Symposium. So, Plato's view there is that beauty is, well, ultimately pure. So, we talked quite a bit about this in our episode on Plato, in our season on love, right? But I think that the basic idea is that for him, true beauty, the essence of beauty, is something immaterial and metaphysical. And so, accordingly, it's only something that we can come to know or commune with through our mind or soul or intelligence, but not through our bodies or our senses. And so, related to this, and maybe most importantly for Plato, the experience of genuine beauty is not something that involves any kind of lust. No, erotic desire is actually completely stilled at the moment of the glimpse of absolute beauty. You just, well, you just no longer desire the sight of the flesh. Okay, well, unlike Plato, I think that Humbert's view, whether he wants it to be or not, is that the love of beauty is inseparable from lust. Beauty just isn't associated entirely with purity. Sure, there is an element of the pure, and the divine in how he perceives Lolita's beauty. But ultimately, he can't separate this from his senses and his lust. As a result of this, instead of um, spiritual transcendence, 
He experiences a kind of physical bliss, but of the sort that he describes as infernal and chaotic in nature. So, this is not the deep and the wondrous calm that sweeps over the platonic lover upon realizing absolute beauty. No, it's a passional experience marked by elation, but also distress, fear, and even bouts of insanity. You know what? All of this makes me think of a moment from James Joyce's Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, a book which actually has beauty as one of its central themes, and a book, by the way, that we discussed in one of our earlier episodes. Anyway, so there, Stephen Dedalus is having a discussion with his friend Lynch about art. So specifically, they're talking about the statue of Venus that they both visited in the museum. And what Lynch says is that he finds her beautiful and enjoys looking at her because he's sexually attracted to her backside. But Stephen finds this pretty strange. He thinks that if you really find something beautiful, then sexual desire just shouldn't enter into the picture. In other words, sexual desire has nothing to do with the experience of beauty. Now, Part of the reason he thinks this is because real, genuine beauty is supposed to liberate us from our desires, not induce them, and so distract us. Now, I think Plato would probably agree. Actually, you know what, so would Schopenhauer, who also believed that you had to take a disinterested approach to art if you wanted a a true, emancipatory, aesthetic experience. In other words, you shouldn't want to possess the object that you're looking at. Rather, you should just contemplate it if you really want to experience its beauty. But anyway, so Humbert, well, he seems a bit closer to someone like Lynch, right? But more tragically for Humbert, though, what he comes to discover is that when beauty is not separated from Eros, then the dream that that beauty promised can so very easily turn into a living nightmare. There's a certain era in modern music. Well, okay, to me, it's modern. Uh, To you, dear listener, it might feel positively ancient. I don't know the age breakdown of our listenership. But there was a whole slew of songs that centered around butterflies. I think there was a a crazy town band. I think uh, Mariah Carey had an a whole era dedicated to the idea of butterflies much, much earlier and hopefully in a much more interesting way, we can add someone like Nabokov to the list. What can we get from his, I don't know, like obsession or interest in butterflies? Yeah, you're, you're right. Nabokov was definitely obsessed with butterflies. I mean, in addition to being an obviously great writer, he was actually kind of a known butterfly expert. And he even wrote scientific papers in this area. From what I understand, he, he devoted years to the art of collecting and identifying butterfly specimens, obsessed with the need to find a new species. By the way, something he actually eventually accomplished. What's more, after years of collecting, Nabokov even learned to use a microscope in a lab where he would spend hours often looking over, well, Samples of butterfly genitalia. Okay, so how is this at all related to Lolita? Well, 
doesn't the relationship between Humbert and Lolita bear a striking resemblance to that of a scientist and their subject? I mean, several commentators have noticed that what Humbert often focuses on in Lolita are body parts that could be said to bear a resemblance to those of butterflies. For example, at one point, he describes Lolita's legs as golden brown, slender, and covered in soft down. Well, it turns out that there's a type of butterfly which has a brown and white pattern on its downy wings. But the more convincing and obvious bit of evidence for what I'm saying is this. Humbert calls Lolita a nymphette. Now, one definition of a nymph is this. It's a larva of an insect with a metamorphosis that's incomplete. So, again, Humbert sees Lolita as a scientist sees their subject, as Nabokov sees his butterflies under the microscope. So, really then, this is a story of man's love of control and objectification. And of course, the fact that Humbert sees Lolita as an insect with incomplete metamorphosis That's what the real tragedy is. It's because what he's done is he's left her transformation incomplete. Much like sticking a pin in a butterfly, only to have it frozen in time this way, Humbert locks Lolita in an eternal pubescence for his own display and enjoyment. Here, I'm reminded of Wordsworth, and his counsel is apt. We murder to dissect. I'm a hero. I know traditionally you're not supposed to say that, that most heroes would give you the humble, no, I'm not a hero. Sure, I just got 12 degree burns over 98% of my body, saving my entire village from the explosion at the old barn dance and refused any treatment before the old barn could be raised so Farmer John and his horses, you know, wouldn't have to sleep out in the cold. But I'm no hero. But today, there's no time for humility, and there's really not a standard for heroic acts. So, I'm a hero. How? You might say standards have changed, but I'll give you an example. I spent money on music. I was talking to a friend, a musician, and I told her my heroic tale of not streaming or illegally downloading her new song. No, I, modern hero, plunked down six ninety five to buy it. Last episode, you called me a germaphobe. And in the time of COVID, hero. Need another example? As I've gotten older and older, I won't say how old. You should never ask a heroic man how old he is but I quite heroically find myself attracted to people my age. Suffice to say, our protagonist here, Humbert Humbert, is no me. He is no hero. Wow, uh, that was quite the lead-in this time. I was actually wondering where you were going there, but you know what? I think you actually made this one work. Anyway, yeah, unlike you, Humbert is no hero, that's for sure. No same-age attraction going on here. Okay, but... Before I get to that issue specifically, let me back up a bit and try to set the larger context. Okay, so really what Lolita stands for is a type. She's an archetype or an icon, actually. She's beauty without a history or a future. She's 
eternal youth. She's perpetual adolescence. I mean, let's remember what Humbert calls her. He calls her a nymphette. And what's a nymph? Well, I gave you one definition earlier, but there's also another one. So, in Greek mythology, a nymph is a semi-divine being who stays perpetually young and beautiful. And that's what Lolita stands for in her own time. An immortal youth. Related to this, we also have to remember that Nabokov has this story take place in post-war America. So, this is in effect the, the young, juvenescent America. The one marked especially by glossy and gaudy consumerism but also one characterized by teenagers obsessed with movies and roller rinks. Compared to the Europe that Humbert comes from, an old one with traditions and deep roots into the past that inform its present, this America is rootless and adrift. It's a plant without a rhizome. Well, what about today? Aren't we even a younger society now? I mean, we might actually be the youngest society on earth, as Professor Robert Harrison at Stanford University says. Young, of course, in the sense of our Peter Pan obsession with youthfulness and not wanting to grow up. And more specifically, it seems like now more than ever, beauty is all about youth. And the old? Well, that's ugly. Old age has become an objection to life. Ageism rules, whether we admit it or not. And so, what do we do? Well, we try to do away with it by spending billions of dollars on plastic surgery, or Botox, or collagen, or Photoshop, all to mask the first visible signs of aging. And then, we spend billions more on retirement homes, where we can isolate those who fail at the quest of denying age. And what's more... In this age of beauty as eternal youth, life just has no narrative, no beginning, no middle, and no end. As the, the psychoanalyst Eric Erickson says, lacking a culturally viable ideal of old age, our civilization does not really harbor a concept of the whole of life. In other words, because we're, well, because we're embarrassed by age and so hide it, we have no sense of, and so no appreciation of, what a full human life is. And this too is just so tragic, as what happens is that we die in limbo, incomplete and prematurely. We, we don't die in the sense that life has come to its own proper end. We don't die life's conclusion. We don't die comfortably and satiated with life on the eve of our days, as Tolstoy's peasants did. You know what? We, we might do well to listen to Cicero, who reminds us that each stage of our life has been allotted its own appropriate quality, whether it's the, the strength of youth or the wisdom of old age. That is, each stage bears some of nature's fruit, which must be gained in its own season. So, to constantly swim against the tide is to neglect the fruit of the full spectrum of life's seasons. Okay, but you know what? I, I want to specifically get back to Lolita's youth again. After all, 
Let's not ignore the elephant in the room. And that's this, that there's something terrible about Humbert's desire for and behavior towards Lolita. It just is, however he tries to rationalize it, like how he says that Dante loved Beatrice when she was nine. It just is a case of pedophilia. I mean, she's 12 years old, remember, and he's in his late 30s. Now, of course, Lolita isn't real, and so nobody was actually taken advantage of. But, in some sense, because of this fictional character, and maybe more accurately because of Stanley Kubrick's version of her in the film of the same name, where he represents her not as the tomboyish girl in the book, but as some kind of pinup model, we get some real-life issues. Some, well, horrific resonance in our culture. I mean, today, there is a sense in which we reward women who act and dress like children for that sort of erotic enjoyment that we don't at all want to make explicit. From the the Britney Spears to the Katy Perrys, there is a disturbing blurring of lines around childhood sexuality going on. Who are these artists made to appeal to exactly? And for what reasons? I don't know, there just seems to be an hypocrisy going on. I mean, on the one hand, we say we despise pedophilia, and for very good reasons. But on the other hand, the very moment that someone becomes of legal age, we don't mind if they don a soother or a schoolgirl skirt. We don't mind fetishizing young girls. Now, it's all very uncomfortable and ambiguous, to be sure. Anyway, I wonder if much of this can be traced back to the Lolita effect. That what we see in the world of pop music and Instagram are signifiers of Nabokov's character. Sure, the the book itself might be something that very few people read today. But the image it projected, well, it's as strong as ever. And it's also every parent's worst nightmare. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode. Bye-bye.